Hello and welcome to another edition of the podcast where we look back on the cartoons, movies, TV shows, and whatnot of our youth to see if they're still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. I am Sean. And I'm Chris. And this is Childhood Remastered. Santa Claus and Christmas go hand in hand. Whatever traditions you may have, Santa is pretty ubiquitous during the holidays. But who is he? Some traditions hold that he is Saint Nicholas, the 4th century Greek bishop. Others believe him to be Father Christmas from British folklore or Sinterklaas from Dutch stories. Still others claim that he is the embodiment of their Germanic god Woden, who is associated with the Yule Festival. Whatever his origins, he has always been associated with the modern Christmas season. But what if Santa Claus weren't a person so much as a title? Well, in 1994, a movie attempted to answer that question. It produced two sequels and a lot of existential questions, while cementing Tim Allen as the quintessential Santa Claus in a lot of our minds. That movie was The Santa Claus. It was the night before Christmas, and children were dreaming of the presents Santa would bring. Somebody's on the roof. But this Christmas Eve... Hey, you! The unthinkable happened. You killed him! Did not. Now, this night... If something should happen to me, put on my suit, the reindeer will know what to do. It's up to them... Let's go! ...to save the day. Together, Scott Kelvin and his son Charlie take on the biggest job in the world. Looking good, Dad! And though it has its dangers... Nice teeth. He thought it was just for one night. You're the new Santa. I am not Santa Claus. Ah. You put on a suit, you're the big guy. What if I don't buy into this Santa Claus thing? Then there would be millions of disappointed children around the world. We are continuing our Christmas holiday-themed episodes this week with uh, The Santa Claus. The Santa Claus, starring Tim Allen, was released November 11th, 1994, with a runtime of 97 minutes. And a quick synopsis that I wrote up is that the real Santa Claus, he actually exists, falls from the roof of a divorced father named Scott Calvin, who maintains a less-than-healthy relationship with his young son, Charlie. And as a result of this accident, he slowly physically transforms into Santa Claus and learns that he will now reluctantly be the new Saint Nick. Mm -hmm. And hijinks ensue along the way. Hijinks ensue. Some uh, sort of philosophical uh, questions some deep arise. Questions, yeah. Some uh, some horrible metaphysical things happen to Scott Calvin. Oh, God, Calvin. yes. So have you ever seen this movie? Absolutely. I watched this movie a lot when I was younger. Um, I don't want to say it was a regular holiday movie, but I definitely... We, we were 11 when it came out. Yeah, we were I, prime, prime. I definitely watched it more than once. I mean, I want to say like less than 10, but more than five times in my life. I've seen this movie a bunch of times. So it was... Uh, I liked it. I mean, it was a, it was a fun movie. Uh, as a kid, I was a big fan of uh, the Home Improvement, and that came out. Around, I mean, the show was out before this before this movie came out. But uh, you know, Tim Allen to me was was great. I loved watching Home Improvement, and I figured, why why not? Why not watch this movie with Tim Allen? I was all on board. Tim it's, Allen was like, it's Santa Claus yeah, and Tim, Tim Allen. Tim Allen was kind of like Disney's go to guy for a little bit. In, in he the, was it, like the every dad. Yeah, yeah. It was like yeah. Jungle to Jungle. I don't know if that was a Disney movie. Oh, but Jungle to Jungle. Jungle to yeah, Jungle. I got and... words for Jungle to Jungle if we ever get to watch that movie. <laughs> and uh, all these all these Santa Claus movies because there was three of them. Yeah, and surprisingly, was, there were three. And yeah, this was a this was a a, a series or this was a, a a property that Disney thought yeah, let, let's make three of them. I don't think that when they made this first one that they're like yeah let's make a bunch of these i think it was just like hey this is a fun holiday movie we have this original idea which actually is kind of an original idea i i think it's rather creative mm -hmm. and then they said oh let's uh let's slap some paint on it and, and we'll we'll recycle this pig three or four times until until nobody wants to watch it anymore yeah why not so i did also watch this movie quite a bit when i was a kid i don't know maybe around the same amount of times that you did and my little sister was really into watching this movie. My little brother was really into watching it. 
So it was definitely kind of part of a, a regular rotation for several years. And and I think for a while in the late 90s, early 2000s, it had become part of the regular sort of rotational holiday film that TV stations would pick up and play because there wasn't really anything that they had to censor. And so they could just play it as is. Yeah. You know? And it was rated PG, right? I yeah. I don't think it was G. Yeah. Now, you said it was a, a rather unique take on uh i want to say superman or spider-man for some reason but you said it, <laughs> i don't know why you said it was an, a unique take on santa claus but this a lot of the story of this movie was actually based on a uh, amazing stories episode called santa 85 uh, in that episode the real santa claus was arrested the uh, one adult wasn't too big on Christmas, mainly because he never got the toy he wanted when he was a kid. And the main kid in the story was the only one who believed that the real Santa was real and helped to break Santa out of jail. And at the end, the disbelieving adult got the toy he had always wanted and he finally believed. So they sort so of, it's basically copy and paste it of this. Yeah, they basically took that yeah. story and they expanded it into an entire movie, which... I think worked. I never saw that that episode. I wasn't I re- aware that it was uh, that it had existed. So yeah, amazing, yeah. I, amazing stories was like an anthology show uh, back in the eighties. So right. I, I never saw that episode. I've definitely seen a couple episodes of Amazing Stories, but never that particular one. But it the the story was basically ripped from there. But audiences seem to like this because. It made a lot of money. So at the time, it had a budget of $22 million and factored for inflation. That's $37.5 million today. And in 94, when this movie came out, it had a box office take of almost $190 million. That's crazy. Which for inflation is $300 and roughly $24 million. And that is a lot of money for a considered to be low budget holiday kids movie that's a lot of money to make and i i think that's probably why they ended up making sequels it's got to be because you know you don't do anything if, if there's no money in it but i i'm just i'm thinking back to when we were kids mm-hmm. and and thinking back to being a kid I remember even my parents enjoyed this movie. Yeah. And they we, liked it. We've talked about that before that that's not something you see all that often. It happens every once in a while, but that's not something you see all that often in movies nowadays and kids movies, movies that are directed towards the younger audience where it's almost, I mean, you have a young daughter. A lot of the times I'm sure when you take her to see some movies, it's more of a chore than enjoyment on your part. It's like, okay, we're going to go see this movie and you just sort of sit there and you're like, sometimes, okay, it's over. If I'm going to be honest, I don't take her to those terrible ones. I just find reason not to take her. (laughs) So like wreck it, Ralph uh, or wreck it, uh, whatever. Ralph breaks the internet. Yeah. I took her to see that and she loved that. And that was fun. I actually went and saw that abominable snowman one. Oh, little Little feet legend of little foot or something. Yeah, Little foot. That was actually really funny. It was a fun kids movie. Man, I enjoyed that's, it. That's uh, who who made that Paramount. I don't know who made it, but it's the same people that made the fun. Hotel Transylvania movies because the fun. characters look exactly the same. It, I mean, it was a fun kids movie, but yeah, I mean, I don't take her to see everything. Yeah. Well, so this movie was written by Leo Benvenuti and Steve Ruddock, and uh, both of those guys wrote Space Jam and all three of the Santa Claus movies, and they were also writers on the Carol Burnett show, a bunch of other stuff too. But that's kind of where I wanted to stop. They don't really have a whole lot of work that was done separately. So that's why... So they're a writing team. That's, yeah, they're that's, a writing team. That's not uncommon in yeah. Hollywood. So, so production companies, Walt Disney Pictures, we're not going to get into too much because we've talked about them a lot. And Outlaw Productions, they're they're kind of... I, I think they're now defunct. They're really small. So the other production company is Hollywood Pictures. Now Hollywood Pictures was a production label part of Walt Disney Pictures. They made movies like The Sixth Sense, the Super Mario Brothers movie, Encino Man, The Joy Luck Club, Tombstone, Crimson Tide, Judge Dredd, the original one, Mr. Holland's Opus, and The Rock. The producers for this movie were Robert Newmeyer, Brian Riley, and Jeffrey Silver. Now, Brian Riley produced a bunch of the same movies that Newmeyer did, and those movies would be movies like How to Be a Player, don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, Training Day, and yeah, the, the sort of movies in that sort of mm-hmm. wheelhouse. Uh, Jeffrey Silver did Edge of Tomorrow, the Beauty and the Beast live action, the new CG Lion King. 
which people are saying is live action, but it's obviously animated because yeah. it's CG and Tron Legacy and 300. And I mean, he's done a bunch of like bigger stuff lately. So yeah, some very so uh, like a, a wide variety of movies. Yeah, yeah, like a really wide variety. I mean, especially if you're thinking, "Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead." Three hundred, and then Beauty and the Beast. It's yeah. like it's what the Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, Tron Legacy. Uh, the movie was directed by John Pasquin, who uh, he was the, one of the producers of Home Improvement. He directed Jungle to Jungle. Funny, funnily enough, uh, uh-huh. Miss Congeniality, and a couple episodes of Growing Pains, Family Ties, and Roseanne, the original Roseanne. Yes. Now the music is Michael Convertino, who was a uh, composer, and he did music for Bull Durham and the original Frankenweenie short. If you're yeah familiar with that. And Jungle to Jungle, Dance With Me, and some other stuff. Now, let's get into the cast here really quick. Really, just as a heads up, there are some other characters, like, kind of further down the line that I kind of chose. I made an executive decision. To to stop at? To just stop at, because they they didn't really do a whole lot, and Mm -hmm. finding information on them was a little bit hard to find. That's not a problem. The first and main actor is Tim Allen, who plays Scott Calvin, who's the main character of the uh, of the movie. Tim Allen is an actor and comedian. He is best known as the star of the 90s sitcom Home Improvement and as the voice of Buzz Lightyear. He was also in films like Jungle the Jungle, Wild Hogs, Galaxy Quest, which is one of my all-time favorites. Same here. And a bunch of other ones. Uh, he Tim- had a TV show not that long ago also. It's back. Last yeah. Man Standing. Yeah, it got, bra- it got brought back and... Uh, as far as his age goes, he was born in 1953, so that would have made him 41 the year that this movie came out. And Tim Allen, if you're not familiar with his comedy, if you've ever seen an episode of the show Home Improvement, most of his comedy is sort of derived from that type of stuff. It's, it's like family-friendly <clears throat> versions of that? A little bit. Uh, some of the stuff, it's it's talking about being a man and power tools and cars. It's very blue-collar-ish it is type very, he's, comedy. He came from Detroit. He is a very blue-collar man. Um, he was arrested for, I think, cocaine smuggling at one point in his life. And yep. he actually broke Disney's rule of Disney had a rule. I don't know if it's still a rule, but at the time, Disney had a rule that they did not hire convicted felons to be in their movies or, I think, to do anything. And he broke that rule, and they let him. They knew that he was a convicted felon because that was a big thing. Like yeah. there was that mugshot of Tim Allen with the with the longer hair and the the mustache holding up the you know the the mugshot plate. <laughs> it's and, it's actually you can find it online. It's yeah. an old image, but it's, but it, it's, it's funny. It's something that Disney knew about, and they I guess he was a big enough star that they didn't care. Yeah, well, and and to be fair, you can kind of see why you know watching watching this movie and. Jungle to Jungle, which I watched actually not that long ago. <laughs> I know, right? Well, this is what happens when you have a child. Uh, so watching that and then Galaxy Quest, which I watch like kind of every year because I love Galaxy Quest. Yeah. You can kind of see why Disney would forgo that rule. He is energetic. He is, uh, he steals every scene that he's in. Yeah. And not like in a purposeful way. He is just honestly, truly entertaining. So, and I have to say that in this movie, and and it helps that he's the main character. He is the most likable character in that he's the most likable. He's the, he's the like realist character. He is the most relatable character. He's the one that sort of reacts to everything like a normal person would. And, oh yeah, no, a hundred percent. He'll, you know, except for maybe his boss. Peter Boyle. Well, it, yeah, his boss a little bit, but, but he doesn't get enough screen time, but just the things that happen with him, you know, when he is presented with all this stuff about the North Pole and Santa and elves and magic and all this stuff and this and the things that are happening to him, like his him gaining weight and turning gray and getting a big beard that just appears. Well, like one of the lines that that I thought was really funny, my daughter asked, she didn't understand it. she she asked me to explain it was at a certain point, I think it was when he's getting on the sleigh or something. And he doesn't want to do it, and then he sort of relents, and he goes, okay, sure, I'll go ahead and do that, and in the morning, I'll, I'll call and schedule a CAT scan. <laughs> <laughs> I 
like like he's lost his mind, like he suffered some sort of head, serious head injury. Yeah. She didn't understand <laughs> it, and she's like, what's a CAT scan, Dad? She goes, is that where they take pictures of cats? And I said, oh, sweetie, no. Uh, a cat's- and tomorrow, I'm getting a CAT scan! No, I think no, he, like, shouts it. It's like, CAT scan is uh, something else. And so it's like... I feel like some of those lines may not have been written ahead of time. It, at least the way that they're delivered, it it felt like he added them in on his own. And I, I do think I remember reading somewhere that that uh, uh, there was not a ton, but there were some things that Disney had to edit out of the movie that was him ad libbing. Uh, oh yeah, jokes, no, that's jokes and stuff that were just not appropriate for a PG rated movie with kids. So you know what? Actually, I'll, I was going to say this towards the end for a trivia thing, but I'm going to mention it now. So towards the beginning of the movie, Tim uh, is playing this character named Scott, and his ex-wife is named Laura, and they have this like exchange back and forth where Laura hands Scott a piece of paper with her current husband's mother's phone number on it so tim is divorced or is scott calvin the character scott calvin is divorced and his ex-wife has remarried this man named neil and they're going to his mother's house for christmas so it's got the phone number on it and scott when he takes it he goes "Ooh, 1-800-SPANK-ME I know that number. <laughs> now, in the U.S., that exchange got removed from the DVD box set in 99, as well as a special edition DVD set in 2002, and the VHS releases, and in 2012, the Blu-ray release, uh, after a incident that happened in 1996 where a child from Steelacoom, Washington, apparently called the number, which turned out to be an actual working sex line number. Yeah. And the kid then ranked, <laughs> the kid racked up a $400 phone bill in 1996. So in the TV airings and in those releases, it was edited over as 1-800-POUND. I think it was one eight hundred like pound me or something. No, it's a one eight hundred pound. Oh well, <laughs> the, so the like good that's old... a, that's a really good example of a line that was most likely ad lib because, yeah, yeah good, I, I can't imagine old... Disney would have been like one eight hundred spank me. Let's work that in there, but it seems like they just weren't paying attention. The, so. the good old days when everybody had landlines, which is not something that everyone has anymore. You need to be like basically over sixty to have a landline anymore. But the good old days when everyone had a landline and you could potentially sneak off and do something that would cost you a fortune. Now that everyone, oh has, yeah, now that everyone has cell phones, I think a, a kid would be hard pressed to, to you, uh, grab a phone and, and dial a sex line. This is like a side note, but do do you remember like in the eighties and nineties? It wasn't just like sex lines and uh, Miss Cleo, which is another one. It was also like call and talk to Mario or call and oh, talk yeah. to Sonic. It's like yeah, Nintendo, uh, Nintendo, yeah. And, and Sega had games or had. Had like nine hundred and cartoon ones. There's one for the turtles. Yeah, nine seven six numbers. That's what and it was they like were. a dollar an hour or something, or a dollar or, a minute. That's what it was. Or it was, uh, or it was video game helplines. I remember Nintendo Power had a helpline yeah. that you would call, and it'd be like a dollar ninety nine a minute. And you'd, or something. you'd sit most of it on hold. Anyways. Oh yeah, yeah. So they just make a break in the money. <laughs> we used to. Uh, <laughs> so when I was when I went to uh, grade school, I went to a uh, Catholic school and. On the campus of the Catholic school, there was a there was a payphone uh, that we would use a lot, or I would use a lot to call my mom. I would do the one eight hundred collect, and when it asked for my name, I would say, "Is John pick me up?" And then I would hang up. Oh yeah, yeah. So I would do that, and uh, we, as we as we got older, you know, seventh grade, eighth grade, we started, you know, we'd stay up late enough that we would see those. Those commercials for the uh, the chat lines. And then you go to school and you try to call it. Oh, yeah. And you would always, like, some of them would work and some of them wouldn't work. And it would, the ones that would work would tell you, because they were 800 numbers and they were right. toll free. But they would tell you to enter a, uh, they would tell you to enter in a, your credit card number. But it was always funny as, like, a little 13, 12, 13, oh, 14 yeah. year old to hear that. Hi, big boy. <laughs> we're we're ready and waiting those for so, you. They were like, they were terribly cheesy. Yeah, I never I never got the appeal of those kind of. I, uh, yeah, I never. Well, it's like listening. I've talked about it before. Never pay for something you can get for free elsewhere. That's just my own opinion. But yeah. but his, at any rate, that's a side discussion. Yeah, so the, the character of Scott Calvin is actually he's like a regional sales manager or regional marketing manager for a toy company, and he has just come off this massive high. From uh, this this really successful product launch that they did, it was like, like a peeing doll. Do it, yeah, do it for me, Dolly or something. 
And they're just they're they've raked in the dough, and he's lit. He was he's high on life. He's you know he's a fairly young executive at this company. It seems like and yeah. In the movie, they mention that he's thirty eight. So he's thirty eight years old, and he's he's holding this pretty high, uh, this high position in what appears to be a pretty large company. Yeah, and, and he's got a nice home. Yeah, a nice big home that he lives by himself. He's he's driving an early Ford Taurus. Yeah. Uh, and remember, Which, this is 1994. Yeah, so whatever. And, uh, and he's got a lot of nice stuff. And he's got, I mean, uh, his his son, Charlie, is gets a lot of freaking presents for Christmas, being the only child here. Oh, but, yeah. And in two different households, yeah. too. So, you know, I would say also the thing to, to mention is he's the kind of guy who he's running late to pick up his son for Christmas a Christmas Eve because he was partying at the holiday party and instead of owning up to making that mistake and saying, oh, you know what? I lost track of time. He lies while driving on the freeway. Oh, you know, I'm almost home now, but you would not believe the traffic is so bad. And he honks the horn and he's going out, same to you, buddy. Oh, that's not very ladylike and all of this stuff. Back in the good old days when you could just lie to someone and you couldn't look it up on SigAlert or something. And you're like, oh, that's weird. It shows there's no traffic. Very interesting. And, and so he's the kind of guy who would do that. He seems like a guy who is probably a bit of a um, a guy that lives for his job. Maybe his, I guess you could say, addiction to his work might have caused the downfall of his relationship with his wife. Maybe. Uh, I mean, I, he mean, does, I, he I does don't also, know what, what it is. But he does also seem kind of like a jerk. Kinda no, no, like he definitely jackass. seems like he's kind of an ass. But for as, sure. Speaking of his son, his son Charlie Calvin is played by Eric Lloyd. Eric Lloyd is a very young actor. I think he's terrible. I'll say that right now. He screams. <laughs> he screams all of his lines, and he he's is, been in all three of the Santa Claus movies. He was in Batman and Robin, and the second and third Brave Little Toaster movies. And he hasn't really done a whole lot else. Some mild TV appearances. I don't know what he's up to, but uh, yeah, he wasn't. Here's the thing. Hopefully, I, he, it, hopefully, it was taking acting lessons. Here's the thing. I don't think he was as bad as you think he was. I just I. I for some reason I, I'm willing to I'm willing to step out on a ledge a little bit and say I don't think it's as bad as you think he was. I think it's more that his character was annoying for you because it's not the kind of kid that maybe you would have been. Well, here's right? the, here's the thing is I don't know I don't know if the kid would have been less annoying with a better actor. Like that's the thing is I don't know if the direction for the character of Charlie Calvin is for him to be like a whiny, annoying kid, or if that's just the way that the uh, character, that the actor Eric Lloyd, I didn't, get, I didn't get him as whiny. I, so here's like this is the way that I looked at it. Like when you told me like Charlie, when you're texting me saying like he's terrible, blah blah blah. Like I, I was trying to look at it more from the perspective of his his character and what that character is going through in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. So he's got a mom and a stepdad that he lives with a dad that he obviously has a poor relationship with. He doesn't want to be at his dad's house for Christmas. Doesn't he want to see his dad for anything? Mm-hmm. Then he's going to spend Christmas Eve with his dad who then ruins Christmas dinner basically. And then takes him to what a Denny's or yeah. something. And they're out of everything. And all, the only other people in the Denny's are other dads who seem to have screwed up Christmas. Okay. Themselves. That, that pissed me off as, as a, as a child of, uh, as a child of this type of like, like upbringing uh-huh. that pissed me off to see a bunch of like single dads who apparently like, can't, can't can't cook do can't, can't cook do dinner yeah that, that that can't cook and that are that are just essentially inept at raising their children that- well but see that goes into the stereotype of of that that is we've sort of moved away from a little bit but I would argue it's still sort of prevalent in that dads are either derpy ass idiots mm-hmm. or they're abusive yeah the idea of a dad being a good dad in a movie. Like I didn't, I had a, I had a great dad who was present. He worked like 80 hours a week, but whenever he was home, we were on his, we were at the top of his agenda at all times. And he went to every performance. He went to everything. He like rarely ever yelled. He never swore. He rarely ever spanked us. And he was a loving, comforting dad who 
like made, went out and made the effort. So the idea of a and my dad there was he wasn't a great cook, but there's a few things that he could cook. And he knew, okay, hey, I can't make Thanksgiving dinner, but my dad would be like, okay, I'm making French toast, doing breakfast dinner. Like you know, he would have come up with something. And so well, that's I, the thing I with Disney. That's the thing with Disney is you're either a terrible dad or you're a dead good dad. <laughs> like well, that's what they see, would do. But see, that kind of goes into, I think it's like a broader thing. It, we've moved away from it a little bit culturally, but it definitely would have been a trope at the time. That oh, yeah. Like, of course, dad can't cook. Dad is terrible. And to be fair, they have to make Tim kind of a bad character so that they could build this arc yeah. that brings him to being a better character. And so you've got a guy who is kind of a neglectful, shitty dad mm-hmm. who is not a good person who has probably pushed his wife away because he works too much as, and is not a nice Let, person. Let's not be, let's not, let's not mince No, 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 no. She's no prize either. No, definitely no prize either. <laughs> 100%. They pushed each other away. But, so he's got this conflicting, like, home environment, and then he gets to see his dad kill Santa Claus, and then become Santa you Claus. killed him! <laughs> right? So then he becomes him, and then... He's seeing his dad become Santa Claus. He knows what he saw with his own eyes. And his mom and stepdad are basically telling him that he's crazy. Because to be fair, if I was his mom or stepdad, I would think he was nuts too. Here's the thing too about Charlie. Is, and I might I might be overanalyzing it. But to me, the way that Charlie is portrayed, Charlie is a kid that always gets what he wants. He well, he's an al- only child. He always that, gets what he wants. I mean, and he's his, an only child. Yeah, that, his, this is so. His father is a his father is a, a sales executive that does really well. His, has a nice house. His a mother fair does amount of money. His mother does something. I'm guessing, but her her husband, his it's stepfather, a is a doctor. So this is a kid that gets everything he wants, and it's apparent in like when you were saying when Santa Claus falls off the roof. Charlie just does whatever he wants and he doesn't listen to his dad at all. He's just like, no, I'm going up this ladder. No, put the pants on. Do what I say. And then when when uh, when Scott finally says, like, what is wrong with you? We're not going to do this. This is crazy. And then he goes, why does everything that I want to do, why is it always crazy? And it's like, no. Like, a normal kid would not be like, put on this dead guy's clothes. Let's go sit in this crazy thing that appeared on the roof. They'd be like, they'd be scared of it. And he's like, no, I'm fucking doing it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to play on this thing. As a parent, I would probably not be like, hey. Get off the fucking roof. Yeah, yeah. Get off the freaking roof. Get off the roof. It is a two-story roof. In the wintertime with snow and ice. Yeah, and an angry Obviously roof. unsafe for Santa Claus to slip off and die. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah, if I know? put on your clothes, will I become a shitty kid? I Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But bring that full circle over to the mom who is... I, I don't want to say terrible, but I would say not great. She is not. Laura Miller is the mom and she's played by Wendy Crewson. Who was in The Good Son, Air Force One, and Bicentennial Man. She's still acting. I looked her up the other day. Yeah, she's, she's still she's still She's still doing stuff. But her character in the movie is also not great. These, this is a movie about terrible people. Actually, I would say <laughs> it's a movie about terrible parents. Yes. That's really what it's about. Because... Well, actually, like, everybody's terrible. Like, the principal is terrible at the school. Oh, the principal's... R- I mean... The, the parents are terrible. What about the elves? Neil's, are, Neil's terrible. The elves are just awful. So you didn't like this movie? The, no, I like the movie. It's just I like the movie despite everything that happened in it. No, like the elves I liked are, it except for everything. No, the elves are terrible. What's his face? Bernard. I like Bernard. Bernard Bernard guilts uh Scott Calvin into becoming Santa Claus. As he should. He guilts him into doing it. Uh, the, the stupid elf, uh, uh, you know, strike team with the stupid smirky smug kid. Who's the leader of it. You just want to punch in the face because he's got this dumb smirk on his face. He goes, don't worry. We're the good guys. It's like, shut the fuck up, kid. As I throw him off the roof. Like, (laughs) I don't know that I'm finding, I'm finding that like, I don't like child actors very much. And it takes a really good child. actor. I think what it is, is, (laughs) is some part of you is angry at at your inner child. I mean, maybe. (sighs) Which brings us to the psychologist of the movie. Excuse me, psychiatrist of the movie. Dr. Neil Miller, who's played by Judge Reinhold. Now, when I see Judge... Okay, when you see Judge Reinhold, what do you think of him in? Honestly, the first thing that I think of him in is Fast Times at Ridgemont High. 
In that See, sp- for me, it's always Beverly Hills Cop. Okay, so it's it's specifically the scene in Fast Times when he is dressed in the like pirate costume okay, from from the restaurant, yeah. and he's he's jacking it in the bathroom to, to the oh yeah, and then somebody <laughs> walks. He's oh god, but yeah, yeah. I, I definitely remember that scene too. I just I always see him from. From Beverly Hills Cop. I love Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. I love that movie. He was a so, staple. He was a staple of the 80s and early 90s. Yes. And he was in Gremlins and some other things. But his I would argue that his character is the most insufferable. Yes, because he is a know-it-all psychiatrist who one thinks that Charlie should not believe in Santa Claus being like eight or nine years old. However, uh, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. But he's here's he's the forcibly problem. he's forcibly ah. telling him that so, he shouldn't believe in it. No, here's the th- here's the problem that I have. Although yes, that's a problem. The problem I have is he is a child psychiatrist, hmm. and he should know better than to gaslight the other parent. Oh, yeah, that's that's, the, that's thing. the thing is he spends this entire movie gaslighting Tim Allen's character, Scott Calvin. He spends the entire time sabotaging Charlie's relationship with his father, which probably explains why Charlie didn't want to go over there at all. Yeah, because he spends all of his time with his mom, who's mad at his dad, who's using their son as a weapon and Neil, who obviously doesn't like Scott either and is intentionally poisoning the well. Yeah. The entire movie, the entire movie. And then they go behind Scott Calvin's back to remove his custody rights because they think he's lost his mind pretending to be Santa Claus. And man, that's a really messed up thing to do. And you know, what's funny is when it's not like he's hurting anybody. And that's the thing. When and this happens later in the movie when uh, when this is when this is all going on when they're having an argument about it and this is why I say that the character of Scott Calvin is is the realest and the most relatable and the most like he he reacts to things the way a normal person would when you have the when you have the mom and the stepdad and the principal who are saying this isn't okay he shouldn't believe in Santa Claus anymore and he goes what why. Why is this an issue? Why, is why some- can't he believe whatever he yeah, wants? Why why is it why is it suddenly like incumbent upon you to like ruin Santa Claus for him and ruin Christmas for him? Why can't he believe in it? And like he asked that question a bunch of times. I mean, really, it's not like he won't figure it out eventually. And and the 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 answer that he normally gets is, well, he's too old. He's too old to be believing in Santa Claus. Which turns out is based solely upon their own preconceived uh you know opinions upon that, that yeah it turns mom, out neil has been an asshole since he's three years old because he didn't get his oscar meyer weenie whistle yeah and, she, and the mom's been a an asshole since she was five because she didn't get a a board game that she yeah. mystery, mystery date mystery date and and i i'm thinking to so the scene that i was really thinking about is the scene where they drop charlie off for christmas mm-hmm. and neil's waiting out on the car scott has him come in and has Laura come in with Charlie and Charlie's hiding behind the wall uh, because uh, they're arguing, but they're arguing because Charlie's saying he doesn't believe in Santa and Scott's saying, I believe in Santa. And, you know, basically he gets mad at Laura because he goes, and when did, when was it that you decided that he shouldn't believe in Santa without me? Yeah. That's, that's the crux of the issue is like, you are supposed to be co-parenting. Right? They're supposed to co-parent. And instead, she's decided that she's going to unilaterally make decisions for Scott. Now, now, we're not talking about, like, unilaterally making a health decision to, like, take him to the doctor without him. We're not talking about unilaterally deciding, okay, uh, I think that, you know, maybe he should wear a helmet when he rides his bike. It's not the same thing. Yeah. It's unilaterally deciding that that their six, seven, eight-year-old shouldn't believe in Santa. Now, with that said, I personally don't know if i agree with the idea that um trying to trick kids into believing in santa claus is somehow okay well so my i mean this is the way that i'm kind of choosing to navigate it and people can do their own thing this is like my little soapbox moment (laughs) i think that imagination is important right i get that Mm -hmm. kids however don't need to be lied to in order to use their imagination I pretended that I was Indiana Jones 
even though I was fully aware Indiana Jones was not a real person. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to have my parents lie to me and tell me Indiana Jones was real in order for me to enjoy the fantasy of pretending to be Indiana Jones. Just like you don't have to lie to a kid about Santa Claus in order for them to enjoy Christmas. Mm -hmm. Right? It almost seems like the lie of Santa Claus is required in order to enjoy Christmas. And whether you are secular or you are religious, uh, I think the idea of lying to kids intentionally is maybe not healthy. Yeah. And, And I think at the same time, if they want to believe it, that's fine, but maybe let them figure it out on their own. You know, so when they, it, like Eleanor the other day, we we're in the car and she mentioned something about the tooth fairy. And I said, oh, so how do you know that the tooth fairy can fly? She goes, well, I don't know. I said, can, can people fly normally? She goes, no, you can't fly without a plane. I said, oh, okay, well, but she has wings, right? She goes, yeah. I go, do, do people have wings? She's like, no, those are just for pretend. Said, so oh, okay, so, but I mean, she's a fairy, and fairies have wings. She goes, yeah, but fairies are make-believe. Mm-hmm. She's four. And I'm like, okay, so now how do I navigate this next step without ruining it or letting her figure it out on her own? And she goes, then she pipes in, and she goes, is the tooth fairy real? And I said, and she hasn't even lost any teeth yet. <laughs> and I go, well, I, I don't know for sure. That's something that you'll have to figure out. And she goes, oh, and I say, well, how how can we figure that out? She goes, we have we have to experiment and we have to follow the facts and figure it out. You're raising a scientist. And I don't have a problem with her believing in, say, the Tooth Fairy or Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. Um, I would have a problem with intentionally lying to her to force her believe, to believe in something that she and her own inclination are t- telling her not to. And conversely, if she really believed in it it would be kind of messed up for me to lie to her and say that i think it's wrong for you to whatever i i that's the problem that i have and it's not my problem isn't that charlie doesn't believe in santa at the beginning mm-hmm. my problem is that it's the parents putting that on him and not letting him figure that out on his own and you know what the 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 thing that always the thing that always i guess the thing that never works in movies like this that concerns Santa Claus is that in almost all of these movies, Santa Claus is a real person. He's a real, whatever. He's a real spirit entity. He's a, he's a real character in the movie universe. So the, you have to come up with a way to realistically explain why the adults don't believe anymore. And then also come up with a way to explain why presents show up. Because in the movie, when Scott when Scott puts on the clothes and he does the first night with Charlie, when he's just going down chimneys, they do a little bit of explaining, which is kind of cool. Well, the, when when they show up, like when he shows up in one of the houses, he pulls a full on kayak out of the bag. Yeah, where's the explanation? Not of where the kayak came from, but where's the explanation to the parents? Like, do the parents the next day go? Did you, did you buy that? No, I didn't buy that. Where did that come from? I, I would just claim it. I would just oh. <laughs> like seriously. Hey, like, did, Dad, where did this come from? I don't know. Santa brought yeah, it, and then uh, later the kid grows up and doesn't believe in Santa. Oh, you know, thanks for buying me that kayak. And yeah, then the parents the, look at each other like, Haha. yeah, the, the like dad, is that what happens? Yeah, but like at what point? Then that's the thing. Like I said, happens. It's the it's the constant question in all of these movies. Is Santa Claus is a real character that does bring presents to everybody in the world? How do the parents explain those presents magically appearing? Is there some kind of pixie dust that makes them think that they bought them? And, I don't know. And, and something like that. Like, that would be an explanation. I want a movie that has an explanation like that. That part of the magic of Santa is that he convinces the parents that that they're the one, like, that bought it. He does some Inception type shit and, and, and convinces them that they're the one that bought that present. But but they stop believing. And if 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 they stop believing in Santa... Does he not deliver them presents anymore? It's kind of like an elf, right? An elf, Santa's sleigh was was powered by the Christmas belief. spirit, yeah. the belief in Santa Claus. So, it like at least that sort of went to explaining how it all worked. It's just like obviously Santa's a character, and obviously Santa was coming down Scott Calvin's chimney to deliver presents, and then he fell off and died. And that also brings up some other questions that I have about Santa Claus. 
Did he actually like the, so the metaphys- there, the there medical- are other Santa Claus movies <laughs> the and I will tell part. you because I have watched the other ones and I believe the way that they explain it is that because in the third one Jack Frost is there with it, Jack Frost is played by um, Martin Short Martin Short and Jack Frost wants to be Santa Claus and so they come up with this whole scheme to get rid of Scott Calvin as, as Santa Claus and so what happens is that when they trick him into no longer being Santa, Scott basically transforms back into his regular self as if he was never Santa Claus to begin with. So like reality alters. Mm-hmm. Scott Calvin then becomes regular Scott Calvin. He doesn't necessarily travel back in time, but I imagine that that's basically sort of what happens is they basically, the world sort of reboots to that point and he gets to live his life as per whatever. Mm-hmm. So like if he fell off and died, basically he would disappear and then reappear as his regular self with no memory being Santa Claus and get to live out his life. And then next Santa Claus just jumps in and picks back up from where he, where he left off. Does that make sense? It does. I still don't understand why Santa can't just be immortal. Why he has to be essentially like a James Bond type, you know, someone else filling the role. I think it's kind of a cool idea. If you, you, think you can about be it. Santa Claus for like a thousand years and then and then give it up and then live out the rest of your life. I guess that's I guess that's cool. It's like you're you're doing good deeds and now as a result of those doing good deeds, you get to now live your life. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of morbid though that uh, and I know a lot of people when they talk about this movie bring up this line. At the end of the movie, when uh, Neil tells Charlie that he's going to be a great psychiatrist one day, and Charlie says, "No, I think I want to go into the family business." I thought about that too. I'm like, like you, "So you're going to kill your father? You're going to kill your dad, huh?" And yeah. at what point are you going to so do Empire that? Strikes Back? Moment, yeah, or? like, and you, you like, is he going to do that when he's like 30? So, so uh, Scott's going to have like what 20 some odd years of Santa Claus, and then, <laughs> and then uh, Charlie's going to kill him one day. Yeah, I don't know how that works. Like, I, yeah, I really, I wasn't sure how that would work because like, I guess, I guess the option of course is he would just go and work at the North Pole. Maybe I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. It's it's very weird. Speaking of the North Pole, uh, the next character on the list is Bernard, the head elf who is played by David Crumholtz. He was in Harold and Kumar. He was at Sausage Party Numbers. Uh, and Adam's Family Values, he's the love interest of Wednesday. I love that movie. The, the one-sided love interest? Yeah. Whatever. They end up together. It's fine. Yeah. I love that movie. I, I have to say, and this is probably inappropriate, but I think it's really funny to have a uh, have a Christmas elf be a very obviously Jewish kid. Yeah. I thought that was funny, too. <laughs> yeah. I, let's, With dreadlocks. But the, I, the, character, was, the character of Bernard is a taskmaster, and he's kind of an asshole. I was going to say, let's let's really talk about the fact that he has no Christmas spirit. As, oh, no. Like, no. He, he, like, just walks in and he kind of yells commands. And then at one point, like, close to the end, he, like, walks in eating a sandwich that he stole from one of the one of the parents. Like, oh, he stole nothing. from Neil. Neil was yeah. making, like, a... Neil was making, like... Like a, an alfalfa sprout pita sandwich. Yeah, I was like, what? what's that about? Whatever. Oh, man. <laughs> that kind of brought me back because alfalfa sprouts and, like, pita pockets were, like, a big thing in the early 90s. Do you remember? Yeah. I used to get those in my lunch... <laughs> So I would get like peanut butter and jelly, uh, uh, pita pocket sandwiches. I get all kinds of stuff. I had a. You I, can't send peanut butter to school anymore, but when you really? could, yeah, man. you can't. Oh yeah, because kids are allergic. Man, that they, was, they'll die. That was my go-to peanut butter and jelly, man. I know that's that's my. I kids made favorite, I made myself but... uh, I made myself a pita pocket the other day. Uh, yesterday, actually, uh, my wife's been out of town, and I. Uh, was... So Sean gets to fill his time eating all the stuff he's not supposed to. No, she left me. Uh, <laughs> she left me some turkey, some ground turkey. So I had a. Oh, uh, see, I I had a ground turkey and egg and bean pita pocket. <laughs> <laughs> when joy, <laughs> when joy is out of town, I, I I'm like. Okay, so what's all the things that I like to eat that Joy doesn't like to eat that I never get to? I'm eating that. I mean, like lots of pizza, wings. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was like when my my grandparents, my grandfather hated Chinese food, but whenever my grandmother wasn't wasn't around him, like if he was off traveling somewhere, I'd be like, "Hey, Grandma, where do you want to? What kind of food do you want?" She's like, "Can we get some Chinese food?" Oh yeah, she loved it. She's yeah. like, "Oh yeah, give me some of that chicken and and rice and some pork." And she would just go to town on it. Oh yeah, he like, would never, he would never eat Chinese food. I have a friend of mine, and their their spouse is Muslim, so they don't get to have pork at home, and uh, they really, really love barbecue. So what <laughs> what, what we used to do is 
whenever we were hanging out, uh, I'd be like, hey, you know, what do you want to get? And he goes, can I get some barbecue? <laughs> or Korean barbecue or like yeah. what, whatever. Just like now all I'm the stuff he can't know. I know, right? Yeah, me too. Well, his, so, his character, like I said, he's the taskmaster. Task master. He is the one that basically uh, guilts Scott Calvin into becoming yeah. uh, Santa Claus. And there's there's some other characters that we don't really need to mention. I mean, there's Judy the Elf. And uh, the only reason to mention Judy the Elf is because there's like a really uncomfortable, awkward sexual tension between yeah. Tim Allen and a child. Like not intentional, <laughs> I think. No, I'm pretty sure. I think no, actually, I think it was in that it was intentionally written that way. It was written that way, and there's obviously nothing between the adult and the child. So, the but elves, there might be some between the child and the adult. The elves are apparently immortal or really 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 old because they're all at children one point too. yeah they all look like children and at one point one says something and one of the elves says i have shoes older than you talking yeah. to tim allen so that means they're obviously pretty old and, and judy, judy has a has a 1500 year old recipe for hot cocoa that she's been perfecting right by the way if it took you that long you're a terrible cook or maybe 1200 years it's 12 whatever it took me 1200 years to get it right and and he says twelve hundred years, huh? You know, you look pretty good for your age. And she's like, oh, thanks. But I'm seeing someone in rapping. And the face that Tim Allen makes, that's like confused. Goes, yeah, he's confused, and he just he he mouths like, okay. <laughs> and then he takes a drink of the cocoa, and like, <laughs> like, like I, it's was very... that elf just coming on to me? No, I think the elf was basically mm-hmm. saying. Thank you. I'm flattered, but I'm not into you. Yeah. And and he like was not coming on to her, but she took it that way, which then makes me wonder like how do elves reproduce? That was my first thought. And then they're all kids and it's creepy and I don't want to think about that. Yeah, let's let's not. Like why why even put that line in there? That's just a weird line. <laughs> it's I it's mean just it's a weird line. It's funny. And like that's okay, the thing. it's like that's topical, a... it's funny, but when you examine it, it's weird. But that's the thing about this movie that that I think like despite all my problems with like the characters and some of the plot points, like the, the, for me the thing that makes the movie is Tim Allen's character. Tim Allen's character and just the way he reacts to things and the way he well, he's like, a stand-up comic. He's got yeah, really good timing. The way that he the way that he emotes and the way that he reacts to what's going on around him, it's kind of like how in Harry Potter and like most of the Harry Potters, but really specifically like the first couple, whenever magical things were happening, you look at you look at Daniel Radcliffe and the way that he was reacting to things is like probably the way that someone who's never seen magic before is going to be like holy like what like going what acid on? trip did i yeah. do and what what's what? happening here and that's kind of the way that that tim allen reacts to i will a lot of say stuff. that his like descent into becoming santa claus is actually pretty funny because he he starts off like looking like himself and very quickly he starts to really gain a lot of weight yeah his hair starts growing at an incredible speed. Every time he shaves, it grows right back. He starts craving nothing but sugar and sweets and all kinds of stuff. He seems to exude some sort of Santa Claus pheromone. Yeah, where, that attracts where, children. That attracts children, which is so creepy to think about. But he's just sitting on a park bench watching his kid play soccer. And some little girl comes over and forces herself to sit on his lap and tells him, what she wants for Christmas. Yeah, and then you pan back and there's a whole line of kids. By the way, that's one of the scenes I think that in that in the movie that pisses me off the most. So Charlie's already playing soccer. The game's already going. And the parent the and mom Scott, and Neil walk across the field while the kids are playing, by the way. And Scott is off to the side watching the game. Of course, the children are sitting on his lap and doing whatever. But they are so offended by what he's doing. They grab Charlie. And Scott even says, hey, don't don't take this out on him. I'll leave. I'll go. Just let him play the game. And they're like, no, no. You've gone too far, Scott. This is too far. I never in my wildest dreams thought that. Well, maybe in my wildest dreams. But I never thought that you would Never stoop- in my normal dreams. Yeah, I never thought that you would stoop this low. And they grab his ass and they drag him off the field and take him away. What kind of shitty ass parent does that? Especially when the other parent's like, I'll leave. Let him play the game. Scott obviously cares more about Charlie than the mom does at that point. Because the mom is just like, no, no, this is bullshit. You can't be doing this. I'm going to remove. And that's when they that's when they decide that they're going to remove Charlie. His custody. Remove his custody. It's kind oh, of by messed the, up. By the way, also, at the end of the movie, when all of a sudden, this is another problem I had. At the end of the movie... 
both Laura and Neil somehow sort of spontaneously come to the conclusion that, oh, he is, he is Santa Claus. I think just what it was by is, looking at him, they're like, Santa? No, I think it was uh, because Bernard walks in around that time. And also because Scott is there and he definitely looks like Santa. And, and maybe it's those pheromones. Maybe the pheromones, that's what if I'm you're thinking, in close enough contact I think them. they're like, oh, there's Santa pheromones coming out, like yeah. uh, affecting them and they're not realizing it. And so she realizes it and Neil's like, Santa? But he didn't get it quite yet. Yeah. Until Bernard walks in and well, that was, disappears. That was, no, the, so the, the, no, the I, realization I mean, happens after Bernard leaves when they both go up and they're like, you're really Santa. Yeah. You're really Santa. You're That's really when he him. like comes to terms, but it's because an elf walks through the house and, and then, then disappears. disappears with his sandwich. And then I love that, I love that Laura takes the court order and throws it in the fire, like that somehow, somehow undid the judge's order. Right? Like this, this is my Christmas gift to you, and he throws it. Like, come on! I, I mean, I get the gesture. It's just like you're trying it's, to make up for the fact that you're a shitty person, and it's yeah, it's not like working. oh, you used your kid as a weapon in a in a Santa uh, Claus battle. Santa Claus should not have given them those gifts. Should uh, not have. They were very very yep. naughty. They should have gotten nothing. What he should have done. He's taking pictures of them and said, if you want to see your Christmas present again, like be better next year. And then they would know, okay, like one, he knows like wh- what my gift was. Yeah. And then two, they would have got nothing because they deserved nothing. Do you, do you have a favorite part from this movie? Um, it's, yeah. I have a favorite part and I'll let you think of yours while I'm telling you mine. Okay, go ahead. My favorite part is the sequence of interactions between Scott Calvin as Santa Claus and the little girl. That he goes to as Santa Claus. So in the in the yeah, first, I was trip, gonna say I love that. That's probably the 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 part that's like most iconic is when he shows up, and he's all mad because and he's she, pissed off and throwing stuff around. And you want she, this dolly? And she wants him to drink the milk. He's like, Santa's lactose intolerant. Yeah, I'm not drinking it. I am lactose intolerant. And then he comes back, and she got him soy milk. But the whole the whole thing because he at that point the second time he is very much Santa. He is kind. He's considerate. He loves all the kids. So he he drinks the milk and he makes this face. Yeah. And then she wakes up again. He goes, you know, I think the milk went bad. And she goes, it's soy milk. And he's like, soy milk? And he's like, yeah, you said last year that you were lactose intolerant. He goes, I did. I did say that. Good. Like, like, thank you for remembering. And he's like, genuinely, like, yeah, it's it, like a, it shows his growth as a, as the character of, and it's just like, it's honestly, it's a, it's a cute interaction where yeah, he's like, it is. Oh yeah, I did say that. I fucked up, but it's not your fault. That's my fault. Good job. Cause it's kind of remember. Like, well, like, you know, that does happen as a parent all the time where, you know, you'll tell your kids something and they'll go, no, dad, it was this. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, no, it was this. And then they're like, look. And you're like, oh, <laughs> I'm wrong. Oops. And I'm like, that's okay. Daddy was wrong. And she's like, daddy was wrong? And I'm like, yep, daddy was wrong. And then that's it. And then like, you just, you kind of have to eat crow. So it's kind of a sweet moment because yeah. it kind of, it's, it's like the sort of, I, I feel like it's not just him transforming into Santa. It's more like, Scott Calvin both transformed into Santa and also into a better dad. Yeah. Because, you know, in the beginning... He becomes like a dad to all the kids in the world. Right, right. And he seems to be able to kind of parse that better than he was in the beginning. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. And I do like, too, the other... Well, the, the last scene is... The last scene that pisses me off is the one where... Uh, so, Bernard gives Charlie a snow globe. And the snow globe is apparently able to come to life. I knew this was going to be the one that, that pissed you off. I knew it. <clears throat> the snow globe comes to life if, I guess, if you have Christmas spirit. I'm, I'm assuming that's what it is. So it comes to life. There's like a whole scene in, inside of it. That's what my assumption is. But Bernard tells Charlie at the end that if he shakes the globe, that his dad will be able to come back and see him. It's sort of like a like a phone call. He'll, he'll come back. So the end of the movie, after... Everybody realizes that he's Santa Claus and they give him the we- and he gives him the weenie whistle and the the mystery date game and he flies off to go deliver presents to everyone else. 40 goddamn minutes later after that, Charlie's out there shaking the hell out of it was the- 20. Or 20 minutes, 30 whatever it is. It's not a long time. It's less than an hour later. Charlie's out there shaking the 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 snow globe and he's throwing a tantrum because it- this thing doesn't work. This is bullshit. Where's dad? Where's like, dad? He and- was just here. Yeah. 
And then, and then uh, after he, you know, resigns himself that his dad's not coming back and he's walking into the house, down floats Santa Claus and he says, Charlie, what the hell? I was only gone for like 20 minutes. What's wrong with you? Like, I barely made it to the next city over. Like, it's like I was almost on my, it was like I was halfway on my way to Cleveland. I think yeah. that's what he said. It's like, are you that spoiled? And, and uh, it just, it, it's like, it's to me, it's like. The kid who doesn't want to spend any time with it. It's like the friend that doesn't want to ever come over to your house until you get a new video game system. And then he like always wants to come over because he wants to play the game. Yeah. Like he doesn't want to spend time with his dad so much as he wants to just be like in the sleigh and doing like the Santa Claus stuff. And it just so happens that his dad is Santa Claus. Well, the thing that I was thinking about too is thinking about like the time of how long it took each interaction at each house. Right. And Charlie mentioned something about how there's some sort of like time warp, time warp something. something. So really it's almost like a time freezes, you know, uh, from at, at each house. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the way that Santa Claus can, can do it. But that, but Charlie isn't frozen during that. So really what that means is, I mean, there's billions of people on the planet and let's just say like, Let's just say hey, that Santa only goes to the Christians' homes. Apparently so. That, but that eliminates say, like three billion people. Okay, so there's let's say there's let's more say than that. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> let's say that that leaves two billion people left. Uh huh. So two billion people, and let's group them all up together in in different homes and whatever. So let's say one billion households have to get visited in one night. And so time gets stopped. Santa's so the, so you're talking about a 20 minute interaction, 20 minutes times 1 billion. Charlie gets to live that out over the course of a night. You would think that there would be some amount of emotional growth that nope. would happen during that time. Nope. What the equivalent would be of thousands of years, probably every Christmas. Yeah. But apparently he's learned nothing. Yeah. Charlie's still the annoying little shit that he always was. So Santa Claus spends 38,000 years delivering presents. By our short estimation, and that, I have a feeling, is is an underestimate? Probably. Probably. So that means every Christmas, Santa Claus is putting in 38,000 years worth of toy delivery. So really, those elves aren't that old. <laughs> right. Well, but no, but that's only in the time stream of Santa Claus delivering homes. Like he's in a warp bubble. Yeah. So that means Charlie has there's lived. some there's some calculation in there that you can find out how fast Santa's been going because <laughs> in 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 like six hours he spends the equivalent of thirty eight thousand hours. So there's there's some like each minute of real time is like is like crazy amount of hours I but at the, the same time then he's going real speed once he's inside the home so does does the home then exist in a time bubble yeah he goes he that's goes, what that's the thing like he goes, he moves, we're talking about some weird shit here he moves slow enough that the kids can see him and he can tell them shh go back to sleep but see but that would mean that the that time would continue so really maybe the home in addition, when he enters the home itself then enters his warp bubble. yeah i was gonna say in addition to exert to exude so all of these santa people, pheromones he also exudes the Santa Claus warp. So what he's really doing <laughs> Time warp is bubble. Santa is giving all Christians 20 extra minutes of life every year. Santa Claus. Because they're existing for an extra 20 minutes while he's delivering presents. Santa Claus exists in a microscopic black hole. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Santa Claus is able to warp space time because at his core, he's actually a microscopic black hole. He's part of the queue. Yeah. <laughs> he, we created Santa Claus with the Large Hadron Collider. Santa Claus was actually created, but in the time he was created, he went back in time in the creation. It was an anti-time creation. Uh, did did he go eighty-eight miles an hour? No, did no, he see I'm some doing serious shit. No, I'm doing the I'm doing the thing from uh, All Good Things from the last episode of Star Trek. <laughs> I, I know, I know. TNG. But we've gone way off track. Speaking of time, our time for this episode is up. Uh, it was fun. I would recommend watching this movie. I would too. Even even though a lot of it annoyed me, a lot of it I liked. Yeah, I, liked a I lot. think I think Sean liked it regardless, and I, I did, did too. So I think that we'll do it this week. Mm -hmm. You can check us out at childhoodremastered.com. We have links to all of our social media. Uh, we have our notes there if you want to read those notes. And soon there might be some bonus content episode stuff there that if you want access to that. 
you just have to join our mailer, and we promise we won't spam you, but it's just a way for us to kind of keep track of who's joining and who's not. Mm -hmm. We want to thank John Howarth for our music. The song is nascent. You can find links to his stuff on our website. He just put a new song out as well. Go check him out. Yep. And we are part of the ACPN network, acpnet.net. Yes. And you can check out all of our family-related uh, shows. The ACPN Family of Network Shows. Family of fun. Yeah! And that will do it for us. Yeah, so we hope you've enjoyed this uh, review of Santa, the Santa Claus. And I uh, hope you're having a good Christmas season. We'll be back in a little bit with a new episode. And until then, this is Sean. And Chris. And this has been your Childhood Remastered. We will see you next time. <laughs>